This is Fair Share, a podcast conversation with Philip Rosedale about digital currency and the future of money. My name is Dan Patterson, and in this episode, Philip explains how exchange rates work, how the system resolves conflicts and discrepancies, and how Fair Share balances individual privacy with a need for transaction transparency. Philip, one of the advantages of cash is that it's anonymous or, or it's pseudo-anonymous. I can spend cash and no one really knows that I paid that three bucks for a slice of pizza. Um, now, of course, that cash can be traced. Uh, and anytime I swipe my debit card or credit card, that can be traced too. One of the early pitches of cryptocurrency like Bitcoin was that it was air quotes anonymous. But again, we all know that's not true. You can use the blockchain to uh, infer a user, but there is some privacy there, uh, just like with cash. What is FairShare's response to privacy and what does it do to ensure privacy, manage data in a responsible way, uh, but still ease the friction on transactions i mean yeah you just said it with respect to swiping your card i think that's the perfect perfect example to start with right when you if you swipe a bank you know a a, a major bank's kind of debit card to pay for something who has access to data you know about you and what you're buying right well it's complicated your bank does but probably not say the US government, for example, right? In the case of a debit card, you, you probably feel somewhat confident at least that um, while your bank now knows that, you know, you, Dan, made a payment to some store or something, uh, do, you know, do we all believe from day to day that like the NSA knows that as well or something? And probably the answer there is, no you know a rational answer is you know no so there's some subset of institutions people that might have access to your spending but it's not for example being sold to google by your bank now as you said the blockchain is a weird situation with respect to privacy because at the beginning we all thought that it was offering something that it really wasn't right we all thought that the blockchain had the property that transactions made with this 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 blockchain currency you know if you will would be completely uh anonymous that nobody could ever tell what anybody was spending but now of course fast forward to 2023 and we've got a situation where you know many many for example uh criminal activities on the blockchain have been successfully uh uh, prosecuted, uh, you know, through analysis of that public data, right? Because in fact, uh, in the case of the bl- major blockchains that we have today, uh, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum, for example, we don't have uh, privacy because the transactions can be followed from account, from wallet to wallet to wallet. And what that means is if you really try hard and you have enough data, um, you can probably vector in on what somebody is doing and then potentially even you know catch them if they're doing something criminal. So striking a balance, again, this concept of balance that we've talked about so many times, striking a balance between uh, complete transparency and complete privacy is really important. And when people 
when people talk about the general idea of UBI, in fact, you know, something like we've touched on already a couple of times, like something like WorldCoin, where you're being offered a, a UBI or a, you know, share in some coin in exchange for, you know, your retinal information and presumably therefore a knowledge that literally, you know, you, this one person with this, you know, one set of DNA is, you know, making transactions using the system and, and whoever's storing that retinal scan, is it going to be able to, you know, identify you from transaction to transaction? Uh, UBI ideas that offer UBI in exchange for exquisite, perfect knowledge of what you're doing and the ability to find you if, if need be and, you know, put you in jail or whatever, that is not a safe trade. Uh, I think everybody knows that if we are to get to a world that has some sort of digital currency, we have to strike that balance right. And what that balance means is some people know about our transactions, but certainly not everyone. That's the balance that we have to strike. And the design of fair share makes that balance work because the way fair share works is people are members of different groups. Inside those groups, there's some transparency. It'll be something that different groups can manage differently, but you, you could have a lot of transparency, you know, like the way parents can see what their kids are doing with their first debit cards. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, you might have somewhat less transparency, but, but within a fair share currency group, there is trust and there is potentially a fair amount of information going on in that group in exactly the same way that, say, people living together in a small town probably have a good knowledge or, or a, a non-zero knowledge of what each other are, are buying and selling. But once you swap, once you go and use fair share in a faraway place, for example, where other people there are also using fair share but are in a different group, there is a very, very hardcore amount of privacy. That is, the, the, the money that you're paying for something in that other town uh, cannot be traced back to you ever. And then technically the reason for that is because it's going through an exchange between the two groups. And, and when it does that, it kind of, it becomes anonymous. You know, it becomes just money from this one group going to somebody in this other group. So it's a very important issue, privacy, because we can't get to a digital currency without the right kind of privacy, which by the way, is neither perfectly anonymous nor perfectly and publicly transparent for everyone. You said it, though, privacy is so important uh, for many reasons, but particularly for thought. If I can't have private thoughts, I can't explore ideas freely. Uh, I, I want to return to this idea of groups. We talked about this extensively in a previous episode, but I wonder, and this is kind of dovetailing two questions together, but what happens if I'm a member of two groups and how does fair share work with exchanges, exchange rates between two different groups. Let me give you an example. If I'm an American born in Europe to American parents, perhaps I have, I'm a member of two different groups and I have two different passports and I could legitimately 
be a member of these these groups and and for a lot of reasons i would ex want to exchange uh with other exchange currency with members of other groups so how does fair share right. how does fair share handle being a member of two groups and exchange rates right and you're right like those are let's take let, let's kind of take two those questions one at a time. Two, yeah two, one idea two questions right yeah. it's kind of it's complicated but i think it makes sense yeah it's like einstein said at the universe right it, it should be simple but only as simple as it can be not more <laughs> right and, exactly. I, and i think similarly this idea that we're talking about right that that fair share is about multiple currencies that are trading with each other in some way yeah 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 it's a little bit complicated but some degree of complexity is required if you want to strike that balance that makes things safe say in this in this case so let's talk about multiple groups so in real life in real life and in history we belong to multiple groups that have strong boundaries and strong levels of trust and awareness within themselves let's pick a few examples right um a church group uh an alumni group you know all the people you went to college with um your immediate group of coworkers right now, you know, that you see every day at work, your family. Um, all of those are examples of groups and all of us are members of multiple groups. And in fact, the world is more stable because of that, right? So maybe your family kicks you out, you know, because, you know, some terrible conflict has happened in there. But your church group keeps you or your, you know, your, your, your friends at work uh, team up to help you out in some way, right? These are examples of how different groups support us in different ways. But the, the important uh, design idea that, that carries over to fair share is that um, in a stable world, we all belong to a few different strong uh, groups. And when I say strong groups, I mean, you know, groups, I don't mean the group of all your Twitter followers. That's not a strong group. That's a very, very weak pseudo pseudo group sort of a thing. But a strong group is a group that, you know, might bail you out of jail. And so we all belong to multiple strong groups. And so what Fair Share tries to do is work with exactly um, uh, lay itself, if you will, on top of that same idea of people belonging to multiple groups. Um, some people use the term polycentric, by the way, in mm. uh, the analysis and discussion, you know, of the more complicated aspects of this stuff. Uh, this idea that we are naturally polycentric. We are members of multiple overlapping and sometimes nested groups. So the way fair share works is to say each one of those groups just gets its own currency. That's basically, you know, kind of in a, in a, in a nutshell, what, what fair share says is, yep, we all belong to multiple groups. That makes total sense. Uh, what we're going to do with currency is give each one of those groups its own currency. And then, and this gets to your, I think this gets to the second part of that question, right? Then we have the question of like, well, if two of these groups want to like trade with each other, how does that work? And uh, like, what's the exchange rate, right? Because that's how, you know, when you have two currencies, there's always a question of, you know, how much is one currency worth in units of the other currency, right? Mm -hmm. And this is a, you know, very common, you know, uh, element of economic systems. And by the way, and, and, and I, can, I think we should probably try to explain it in this episode, but um, 
on the one hand, currency exchange is actually a very simple idea compared to, say, trying to explain like the blockchain, you know, or proof of work sure, or something yeah, like that. Right. It's actually a simple thing, but it's complicated enough that it you can you can get confused pretty quickly thinking about it. But maybe you know, one thing I could do is try to illustrate a very simple idea of like what you touched on, which is. If Dan is in uh, fair share, you know, group A and Philip is in fair share group B and they routinely uh, buy and sell things from each other, how does that work with respect to the exchange rate between uh, Dan shares and Philip shares, right? So the way things work the way uh, exchange works between two currencies can be can be thought of I think in this very simple lovely way which is imagine for a moment that you wanted to facilitate trade between two nations right you're sort of the first person who thought of doing it and so you have some you have some let's just say euros and dollars right and you want to provide a service you know where you're going to help people that have dollars spend euros and people that have euros spend dollars on things right and your only goal is to just do that effectively right and and, and you're trying to sort of stand there in the middle as a currency exchange agent as the person behind that window in the airport <laughs> she's she's standing there she's got dollars and euros so how does she play this game well so the way that our currency exchange trader plays her game is that she tries to adjust how many how many euros a dollar is worth or how many dollars a euro is worth so that the two boxes she has of dollars and euros that she has to give out change in stay about the same they both stay full of dollars and full of euros. So guess what? If people are always coming to her asking for dollars in exchange for euros and not the other way around, she's going to at some point start running out of dollars and start having too many euros, right? And so what's she going to do? Well, she's going to say that dollars are uh, 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 more expensive in terms of euros so that she gets more dollars in the dollar box and less euros over time. She's going to adjust the exchange rate, right? The number at the window there so that she stays, she keeps the number of dollars and euros equal. Now, why is that? Because if she runs out of dollars or euros, she can't do her job anymore. She doesn't have any more dollars or euros to give. So it's really actually a very simple calculation. Like if I literally gave you a box of dollars and euros and I told you to sit there at the airport and be an exchange agent, you'd do the right thing. You'd immediately figure out, well, wait a second, people are asking for dollars, so I gotta, I gotta price them higher because you know, I'm running out of dollars. That's how currency exchange actually works. And by the way, if you've heard about how there are all these exchanges where you can trade crypto, one crypto coin for another crypto coin, the way those exchanges work, although it's a smart contract it's electronic same way same way they just price the exchange so that they don't run out of money uh, some people by the way if you've heard the term they use the fancy term liquidity pool for this which means uh, the money that I've got in one of my boxes there in, in being a currency exchange agent so there's a really simple standardized way that is like perfectly efficient if you will for pricing one currency for another currency and that's how it works so what fair share does is exactly that same mechanism between any two currencies any two groups that want to trade with each other so what that means is that the amount 
that one group tends to buy in the other groups you want to use the other group's currency this is what we call the balance of trade is going to set the exchange rate between two groups and make it kind of just work so that basically bread in dollars is worth basically an equivalent you know some other number of euros which stays constant according to how much trade there is back and forth between the two countries in the case of fair share groups so this is automated and dynamic in theory exactly exactly and in fact with even with fair share two groups um, you know like any good idea I think fair share leaves a lot to be defined by the groups you know it's not like Bitcoin it's not like some perfect algorithm that you know fixes all human problems right that's nonsense um, so you could actually choose to be a fair share exchange agent casually if you will out of the back of your car <laughs> by just collecting, having an account in both places and having a balance and, and, and doing this kind of by the seat of your pants, like I just described. Now, it, it, there's a, you know, getting nerdy and, and uh, you know, drilling down on that a little bit. What happens in the real world is that if a bunch of people are casually making an exchange in things there's kind of an opportunity to like exploit them like if there were <laughs> if there were yeah. two people at opposite corners of a park and they were both trading dollars for euros right if one of them offered euros at a significantly different price than the other i could i would be able to figure out a strategy where i went to one trader and then i walked over to the other trader and then i walked back to the first one and back to the second one again and if their prices were different you see I could basically make a little money every time yeah, I made that Yeah, you can walk. arbitrage that difference, right? And that's the word, arbitrage, right? So yeah. by walking back and forth between the two traders, I could basically start making money. So what happens is those two traders end up end up synchronizing. They, they end up um, having to set the same price, right? And this mechanism I described where you can use, yes, you can basically use a computer to set the price too. And all your computers will end up using the same algorithm. And if you've heard of something, for example, in the crypto world called Uniswap, uh, that's an example of an algorithm which is doing that between any two coins. And you can you know use that algorithm basically to let you trade between any two coins. Um, so Yes, exchange rates, although they're a little complicated, hopefully I just maybe, you know, gave a little help there explaining it. There's just a basic mechanism related to how much money is going back in one direction versus in the other direction between two groups or two countries or two major currencies. It's the same thing. So what FairShare does is it basically just lets currencies trade against each other exactly the same way they do today between any two currencies you could choose. How does the system address uh, potential conflicts or discrepancies between group members? That will inevitably happen. Yes, and of course, here again, there are kind of low-level mechanisms that are built into fair share, and then there's a lot of individual behavioral discretion on top of that. But let's talk about the tensions, right? Probably the most important one that people jump to is, well, what if I threaten to leave? Uh, in other words, you know, what if, what if I'm a member of a group and I'm, say, very successful, right? Um, if I have the ability to move my money into another group and leave the group that I'm in, well, you know, there's an interesting trade-off there. Um, if I'm the most productive person in my group, um, 
I might have uh, a pretty good argument, you know, that I could say demand that, you know, everybody in the group should change the taxes like we've talked about in, in, in our last episode. You know, I could demand that everybody change the taxes or I'm going to leave because I'm Taylor Swift and I happen to, you know, be a member of this group and I generate tremendous value. Well, I can hear the capitalists out there shouting, well, I generated the wealth and I've done more than my fair share. Exactly. And that idea. So here again, uh, bad systems try to impose like an algorithm or something on that that applies to everybody. And, and the idea is that the great old wizard who wrote the algorithm wrote it correctly. Right. I mean, that's kind of yeah. where we are with, say, inflation and the Fed in the United States. Right. You know, the idea is that we have some wise you know, uh, grandfather or grandmother who's making decisions about interest rates that are in our best interest, right? And of course, we all find that a little uncomfortable. And, and indeed, that's one of the reasons why we have crypto today, right? Is that, you know, particularly after 2008, people in the United States found that idea incredibly uncomfortable. But the idea with any good dynamical system is to give freedom for its you know, members to create their own rules around things. So let's go back to this question of, you know, I feel like I'm more productive, right? Well, I could up and leave the group. Um, I've got this threat I can make, right, where I can say, I think we need to reduce taxes or I'm going to leave this group. But, you know, at some point, the group can also ask itself democratically, you know, do we care? You know, I mean, maybe at some point we don't want the taxes to go down as low as this rich guy says he wants them. Um, and so we're just not going to do that. And he's going to leave. Right. So there is an exit. You know, a lot of times in systems design, we call this like an exit cost or an, an exit tax. Right. Like, yeah, I've got something to lose by leaving the group, but so does the group. And so there's a tension between that. But the important thing for fair share is groups manage their population probably democratically, which is how we've designed fair share at the outset. But in fact, a group could kind of use any mechanism it wanted to, you know, you know, a, a authoritarian fair share group could be imagined in which, you know, there's some agreement that, you know, some one person has the absolute authority to kick people out, but it doesn't really matter because from the, from the standpoint of a mechanism, a mechanism for money, if you will, fair share simply says groups can define their own population and belonging to multiple groups is okay and leaving groups is okay and being kicked out of groups is okay so you know similarly a group could have a conversation where it says i don't think philip is sufficiently productive and uh he should be you know he's not doing as much as he's earning in basic income and so we're gonna we're gonna vote to kick him out and these opportunities are important uh important to establish you know it's it's not just a regimented system it's a human system where humans decide what to do but the trick is there's a good constructive tension so if there's a big conflict you have the ability as a community to change rates like we've discussed you have if necessary the ability as a community to kick somebody out and that somebody has an ability to go you know move their activities substantially or completely to a different group. It occurs to me that as we're talking about groups and being a member of multiple groups at the same time, we're all kind of the same thing. We, we not only are a part of our own unique, let's say, nationality and our own uh, uh, economic systems, 
but we have a, a global economy as well. We are all part of the same inexorable economic system, even though each system might be different and nuanced, which is what you're kind of describing here. Perhaps China is managed capitalism. The United States is free market capitalism. Other governments have socialism. Um, we're all part of a, a global economic system, and right. we really can't change that. What you're kind of describing with fair share is is similar. Not only am I capable of being a member of multiple groups, I am inherently a member of multiple groups. So right. can I then migrate my preference or or set a primary group? Like migrate from one to another or change? Or can I say, you know, this is the group that is my, my home group and this is my preferred place? You know, it might make sense at some point to literally make that a... Uh, a visible marking, if you will, will you know, like may, maybe the stable situation for a global, uh, a, a global version of fair share amongst groups is that you do identify what your primary group is. I think it might also turn out to be the case that you have um, a very substantially more economic activity in one group than others, and that is just kind of naturally your primary group, right? I mean, maybe that'll be the structure that comes out of this. This idea of primary and tertiary uh, groups or relationships or commitments or whatever is very common you know, to, to, to real-world systems, and so I wouldn't be surprised if we sort of saw the same thing happen here. You know, multiple groups, but there's like a power law, if you will, between your participation in groups, right? You know, the, the, your most, the group in which you're most economically participant, you know, maybe you're, you know, two or three times more than the second group and so on, right? So you're in multiple groups, but they feel a little bit more like loyalty miles or something where, but, but then you're in this one primary group, which is, you know, where your livelihood is, where your rent is paid or whatever. Um, again, fair share actually doesn't try to prescribe that and i think that's what makes sense i think the economic experiment we need to start down the road here with uh with something like fair share and hopefully fair share itself is to allow people to kind of take over their own economies and start to kind of have this conversation at a rate maybe faster than we have it with countries today you know i mean when we look at countries and all their different currencies today we're seeing this same kind of thing like you said we're seeing global we're seeing participants in a global economy making these big decisions, you know, in the way of pricing and discovery and, you know, moving stuff around. But in the real world, you know, these probably, these are probably too big of groups, these, these economies, they're probably too big, I think, uh, you know, that's what we're trying to build toward here. And they're also kind of masking real economic information with secondary information, like I have nuclear weapons or whatever that are that have a big impact on the economy, but don't really get to the lower level question of, are we doing it right? Are we managing our global resources as a species in the right way? And I, and again, I think that this idea of, you know, mapping the, coming up with an easy way to map a currency onto a small group is exactly the way we sort of get to the right answers here. Last question, at least for now, I can, can groups, can fair share evolve and change as a group's needs change? Yeah, that's a great question. Again, if the exit tax, if you will, if the, if the, if the, if the 
fear, if, if the feelings people have about staying in a group or leaving in a group are right, then it also creates an opportunity for, say, one large group to break into two similar, you know, two similar size, smaller groups, yeah. right? We could call that uh, fission, right? Like we do in, with cells or with uh, atoms. Yeah. So you might, a group might fission into two groups, right? Or two groups might fuse into one group. Um, all of these things are pretty easy. Like if you had two groups using two different fair share currencies and they wanted to merge, it'd be quite easy because um, they could agree to do that and then transfer their currency between, you know, from the one group to all the, to the other group and kind of move everybody from one boat to another. And again, the idea that, that that's uh, the hope here is that we can use technology to make that kind of behavior, that kind of decision easy. Not infinitely easy, you know, that, that there's always got to be a, you know, it's, you call it like a transaction cost associated with making a choice like that. Moving from one group to another, there'd be a transaction cost around risk, you know, is everybody going to be a good actor? Or are we going to let half the people in and then not the other half? You know, there's, there's going to be uh, costs, if you will, coordination costs associated with doing that change. And I think yeah. those coordination costs are actually important that they be non-zero. Like you you don't want to have everything move around. For, for example, in Fair Share, one of the things we've modeled is, um, you know, what if like, just like we see in say American politics, right? Like one side wants the tax to be 10% and then 30 seconds later, the other side, you know, plus one votes it to be 5%. And then the other side comes back tomorrow, gets pissed off and plus two and votes it to be 10% again. And so we've been thinking about things like, you know, when you make a change to your local tax rates, do you have to wait a day or a week or something to make another change? Yeah, probably. You know, those are examples of like little mechanistic costs that make the system work right, you know, so that you get more stability. Thanks for listening to Fair Share, a podcast conversation about the future of digital currency. To learn more about the project and join the Discord, visit fairshare.social, and you can listen to more episodes of this podcast at fairshare.substack.com.